welcome you we welcome you everyone here again this afternoon we thank you that or thank the Lord that he has called us to be here together and um, may our worship be to his honor and to his glory this afternoon or this evening service we have brother Kevin Starr to lead us and we thank you thank him for his willingness to lead us and may his May our worship be pleasing to our God. Our call to worship this afternoon is taken from Psalm 136, first three verses. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Good evening, brothers and sisters. I would ask that if you are able, please rise for worship and lift up your hearts to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, from where does your help come? Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. God also greets us, grace to you, and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne 
and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Amen. Let's now now sing praise to our God with the hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. God moves in a mysterious Scripture, let's call upon our God in prayer together. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you for gathering us to worship you once again this day. We thank you for working in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would continue to work within us now. As we turn to your word, we pray that you would speak to us. Grant me the strength to speak clearly. Grant all of us the ability to to focus, to be free from distractions and concerns of this life. And help us to listen not to the words of a mere man, but to your word and the truth that is revealed there. We pray that you would work through your Spirit, so that the good news of your love would shine before us, that the wonders of the gospel would dwell richly within us, so that we cannot help but respond with wonder and faith and trust. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, who with you and the Spirit, the one and only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. So contrary to what you have in your bulletin, I made a last-minute change, and instead of reading from Exodus 24, I'd like to read from John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. And in this, this is the narrative where uh, Peter is restored. Peter makes his confession of, of love for Christ and his willingness to feed Christ's sheep. Luke 21, or sorry, John 21, beginning at verse 15. And we'll read through verse 20. 
When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. And then I'll also read from Peter's first letter to the churches, 1 Peter chapter 1, the verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. In response, let's sing from Psalm 105, the stanzas 1, 4, and 5.
So I'll read our, our text for this evening once more. Verses 1 and 2 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, there are different words in Scripture that are used to describe the Christian life on this earth. One of those words is exile. We are called exiles here in First Peter. And exiles, of course, are those who are removed from their native land, from their homeland. In the modern term, we'd probably call them refugees. And refugees often face pressure to, to lose their heritage and their traditions and their culture and, and to conform with a, a new society. And here in First Peter the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he encourages the churches to maintain their, their, their Christian culture, even as they live in, in a world that is opposed and, and hostile to them. And there are times when each of us have to choose between following the crowd or following what we know is right. There are and will continue to be situations where we have to choose between right and wrong, between good and evil, following what we know and believe to be God's will, or caving in to the outside pressure of a secular and unchristian culture. And maintaining the faith can lead to suffering. And the pressure to cave in and and renounce the faith It can be immense at times. Just think of the millions who who live in places where living as a Christian leads to persecution. It can even cost someone's life. By the grace of God, we don't live in such a hostile culture. And yet there are certainly times when standing up for Christian principles and, and, and standing for what we believe can be costly. Standing up for biblical convictions and living as Christians can cost you your job. It can cost you friends. It can cost you connections with family and loved ones. And maybe you've experienced some of that yourself. As churches, we also face pressure to conform to the world around us, to celebrate what the world celebrates and to condemn what the world condemns. And at times it can be tempting just to give up and to to go with the flow of society. The church can seem so small. It can seem so scattered and, and so powerless. And as individuals, there's times when we can feel so small and and powerless and broken. Well, the people that Peter was writing to were in such a position. The world was against them. The world was calling them to renounce their faith. These were exiles and refugees. But Peter, he assures his his fellow Christians that that they and, and we as well can have confidence in trying times. Confidence because we belong to Christ. Confidence because God's grace and his peace is greater than we can ever possibly imagine. And so today we will look at the opening verses of Peter's letter under this theme, Confidence in Trying Times. And we'll see three reasons that we can have confidence. First, we'll see the the confidence in the author. Second, confidence in the audience. And finally, the confidence given to us in God's greeting. First then, we can have confidence in trying times, and we see this in the author. The author 
of this letter is, of course, the Apostle Peter, one of the the 12 disciples set aside by Christ to, to be his ambassadors. Most of you would probably know that he was to represent Christ on earth. And some of the children here, you probably know that Peter, before he was a disciple, before Jesus called him to follow him, he was a fisherman. And we know this from the Gospels. And in all likelihood, as a fisherman, he was probably uneducated. He didn't have any formal scholarly training like the scribes and the Pharisees of his day. He was no religious teacher or leader. He was an ordinary man. And yet, Peter, we know from his, his character as it's revealed to him, to us in the Gospels, that Peter, he was very much an ordinary man. He was a weak and, and a fragile man. And there's times when this is made very clear to us when he, for instance, denies Christ three times. He was a flawed person like you and me, and yet Jesus sets him aside and he calls him to to write this letter for the churches, to write this letter for the people of God to find comfort and, and hope in the midst of their suffering. And he proves that God can use us despite our weaknesses and despite our sins and despite our flaws. Peter was a man who was known for his quick speaking. He would, he would speak quicker than he thought, it seems. There's one time in, I think it's the Gospel of Mark at the Transfiguration, and Jesus is on this mountain with his disciples, and then Elijah and Moses show up, and, and Peter says, Lord, let's make some tents. And then there's the, the editorial comment, he said this because he didn't know what to say. That was how how Peter seems to have acted in much of his life. And then later he would deny knowing Jesus, not just once, but three times. Peter was a flawed man. He was a typical man. And yet Jesus had, had said to him, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And throughout this letter, of 1 Peter, we see that that's just what Jesus is doing. He's using Peter to, to build up and edify and strengthen and, and encourage his church. He encourages and, and teaches and he exhorts and he points to Christ and the riches that are found in Christ. And so the Lord, he took this outspoken and, and flawed fisherman and he made him into a preacher and a writer whom God would use to build his church. And so what happened? What, what changed? What brought Peter from a man who was at times bold and at other times a man who was afraid? What turned him into the man who became known as the leader of the apostles? What made him willing to say that he was willing to obey God rather than men? Well, it's clear the Holy Spirit worked within Peter's life and, and he transformed him. And I think one of the messages that that stuck with Peter throughout his life is what we read from in the Gospel of John, where Jesus asked him three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, answers Simon Peter. Then feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And Peter knows what Jesus is doing there. He's struck to the heart. He's denied knowing Christ three times, and now he has to make this threefold confession of his love for Christ. And his love for Christ is shown in how he's called to feed his sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, then be my under-shepherd and feed my sheep. Keep them. Love them to the end. There's no more running away for Peter. There's no more denying Jesus. 
If he loves Jesus, that that love must result in his caring for Jesus' sheep. And throughout this letter, that's exactly what we see Peter doing. As As a shepherd of Christ's church, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he shows his love for Christ by feeding his sheep with the encouragement that God's people need in their time of exile, in their time of suffering, a suffering which Peter himself would also share in. We read of that in the, in the, the book of Acts. We read that he was persecuted, he was beaten, he was ostracized, he was driven into exile. He knew he had his own martyrdom lying ahead of him and The strong Christian tradition is that he would eventually be crucified. And so Peter was someone who could relate and sympathize with those who were suffering because of the gospel. And he presses on in in the face of that suffering. He fulfills his calling as a shepherd, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he does so confident that in the suffering there is glory. There is glory in suffering for the sake of the gospel. And you'll say this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, when he encourages the exiles to have this same confidence, and he tells them, Rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It was the spirit that made Peter confident. And it was the same spirit that rested upon the exiles. It's the same spirit that rests upon us. And this spirit, he gives us boldness and confidence in the midst of our own exile and suffering. A confidence that leads us to to encourage one another, especially in suffering, especially in times of trial. And we can rest assured that if we suffer as exiles on this earth, we share in the sufferings of Christ. We follow in the footsteps of the chief shepherd who who has gone before us, the one who loved his sheep to the very end, who was bruised and beaten and crucified for us. And so now as disciples of Christ, as those who follow him, we have this amazing privilege of building one another up in love of pointing Christ out to one another, of encouraging one another with the truth and the reality of who he is and who we are to him. And that's precisely what we see Peter doing in the next lines of this letter as he then gives his audience reason to have confidence. In verse 1, B, he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all these different Roman provinces in in modern-day Turkey. And he reminds these men and women that they are, first of all, God's elect, the ones whom he has chosen. And for many, if not most of us, as, as good Reformed Christians, we hear the word elect and our minds jump right to the eternal decree of God when he chooses who to save. But before we, we jump to that end goal, to that, to that reality, we should also look at the next word that Peter uses because he doesn't just say they're, they're the elect. He doesn't just leave it at you're the chosen. He calls them the elect exiles. The elect exiles of the dispersion. They've been elected to be saved, yes, but they've also been elected to suffer. They've been elected to live in exile and share in the suffering of Jesus Christ. These churches in in these different provinces, they, they they were discouraged congregations, it seems. Congregations that are struggling with the trials of life and how to live in, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus in a world that is hostile to the gospel, in a world that is opposed to the Lord. Many of these believers, 
had been forcibly relocated. Many of them experienced different forms of of persecution and had had to, to flee from their homelands. And for most of them, they were then exiles, not only in in a spiritual sense, but also in a a physical sense. The Romans, they they had this practice of every now and then just dispersing certain groups of people that they deemed troublesome, and they'd disperse them to different parts of the empire. And we know that the, the emperor at the time that this letter was written that emperor, he, he dispersed groups to each of these provinces that, that Peter mentions. Each one had cities that had been established by Rome through, through a dispersion of, of one time or another. And so when Peter references exile and dispersion, many of the people reading this letter, they would have known right away what it was like to be dispersed to be forced to, to leave everything behind and go to an unknown place, an unknown country, an unknown region of the world, to live in an unstable area with a fractured population. And Peter does more here with, the, with these words, exile and dispersion. He, he draws a parallel between what these Christians Many of them ethnic Jews. He draws a parallel between what they are now experiencing and what their forefathers, their ancestors experienced in the past. The exile from Jerusalem. Those, those Jewish peoples, they had been forced also to, to live as, as exiles, as outsiders in, in Babylon and different areas of the ancient Near East. And they had to choose between what they knew Scripture said was right and what the world around them was trying to convince them of. It would have been much easier just to conform, to cave in. They had to decide whether they were willing to or wanting to, to go with the flow of the culture around them and, and be, or be mocked and ridiculed for their faith, ridiculed for, for standing to their principles as, as covenant children of God. And there will be times when we have to make similar choices. And it can be in in university classrooms that are hostile to Christianity. Or it can be in workplaces that are hostile to a Christian lifestyle. It can even be when we are faced with advertisements and media and social media bombarding us, calling us to to conform, to to give in. To live as the world around us lives. But for all of God's covenant children, for all of us who live in exile, the call is the same. The call is to remember who you are, to remember your identity. You are the elect exiles, the ones who belong to the Father. We're called to remember that this is not the promised land. We are not yet living in our true and eternal home. And so Peter, he uses the imagery of exile to to spur his readers on, and to spur us on to continue living faithful and, and fruitful lives of obedience. And that's important for us to recognize, because whether you have come to Christianity from from a false religion or from atheism or Judaism, whether you're a Jewish or a Gentile believer, if you are a Christian, then you have become an exile and a foreigner in this land, a refugee. And the place of your earthly birth is no longer your true homeland. You've been born again from above. And so we are living in exile. Living in exile, but we are also the chosen of God. And we belong to him. And he has an eternal home in in store for each of us. And now we have to choose, brothers and sisters, between living as children of God and children of the world, as citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem or citizens of, of this life, of this earth. 
And this means that throughout our time of exile, we remember that we are in the world, but we are not of this world. We are different. And that impacts our outlook on life. It impacts our outlook on society around us. It certainly would have impacted the Christians living in Turkey. You know, over, over time, over, over centuries, the, the Christians living in that area, they, they tried to introduce different biblical values to their society. And, and they went a long way. They, they did improve and, and make the society much more biblical. And in a similar way, we, we can and we should work to change the society around us. We can and we should work to try to hold back the, the moral decay that occurs. But like those who first read this letter, we don't need to be overly discouraged if we don't see change. Because we have this hope that, that God will preserve his elect. God will preserve a remnant for himself even in hostile cultures. Think of how during the, the Jewish exile, God, he, he preserved a remnant. Yes, he had, he had sent his people into exile, but he preserved his elect. He preserved men like Daniel and women like Esther, people who remembered to whom they belonged. And God does the same thing today. We have the promise that our exile is not forever. God is working even today to bring our exile to an end, to bring us to the new Jerusalem. I don't know if you celebrated the Lord's Supper this morning, but if you did, then you had a a beautiful foretaste of, of that coming of the new Jerusalem. Every Lord's Supper, we are reminded of this and we anticipate that final marriage feast of the Lamb when we will no longer be exiles but in our true heavenly homeland. We express in the Lord's Supper our our longing to, to be there once and for all. And so Peter, he, he then, after pointing, calling them to remember their, their true homeland, he goes on to, to ground these elect exiles in their relationship to God. That is the place that they can find their confidence. If you look at verse 2, Peter says that all of this is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Foreknowledge, foreknowledge of God the Father. It's God's providential, his purposeful plan. He has a purpose in their exile. These sufferings and trials that they experience, the sufferings and trials that that you experience, they don't come by chance. They come by by the hand of God. He's in control. And this, this foreknowledge, it forms the basis of the hope that Peter will hold out to, or he will hold out to God's children in, in the rest of this letter. And notice that it's the foreknowledge of God the Father, the God who is our loving Father through Jesus Christ. The one who He's the one who holds the plan for your life, and so you can be confident knowing that His plan is for your ultimate good. And this doesn't mean that there won't be suffering, there will be. And some of you probably know this all too well. We are exiles. But it does mean that in our suffering, God, God will use that very suffering and this time of exile to ensure that we do reach that heavenly Jerusalem. And this is also promised in what Peter calls the sanctification of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that's the instrument by whom God brings about the sanctification of his children. He sanctifies us through the trials of life, through our time of living as exiles or refugees. And ultimately, these exiles, and we as exiles, we are chosen and sanctified for obedience and for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the goal in all of this. And here, Peter draws on the imagery of Exodus 24, 
We didn't read that, but there the people, they, they, they pledge obedience to God and they, they confirm a, a covenant with God. And Moses, he takes the blood of all these, all these bulls and, and calves and he throws it out over the people and the people are, are sprinkled with blood. And Peter He draws on this imagery to show that while Moses sprinkled the blood of the old covenant once upon the people, the blood of of the new covenant, it has now been shed upon the cross and sprinkled upon us in baptism. And we are entered into a covenant relationship with God through that. And Peter, he'll show that this sprinkling with the blood of Christ is far greater than sprinkling with the blood of, of bulls. Peter in Acts, he he says that through Jesus' death, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. And it's a justification that you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And so what the law was powerless to do in its, its inability to transform the hearts of the people, its inability to actually make us obey the word of God, Jesus has now made possible by the blood of Jesus, by his own blood. And more than that, his righteousness is now our righteousness. The blood of bulls and goats, it was weak, but the blood of Christ will never lose its power. And so we can be confident, brothers and sisters, in times, in the time of our exile, We can be confident in the blood of Jesus Christ, for Scripture says we have confidence to enter into the holiest place by the blood of Jesus. And if we abide in him, we have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And if we walk in light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, it cleanses us from all sin. And this covenant then, made with the blood of Christ that keeps us in the presence of the cross throughout our earthly journey. We are always protected. We are always sealed by the blood of Christ. We belong to him, not the world. And that can give us so much confidence because we are exiles, yes, but we are not exiles without a future. We have a future. We have a hope. We are those who have been claimed by God the Father. We are those who have been sanctified by the Spirit. And we are those who have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. And now, briefly, we can see the confidence also in in the greeting that Peter includes in this letter. The greeting when he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's often noted that this was a a standard way of beginning letters in the Greco-Roman world and especially in in Jewish tradition. For example, after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, a Jewish rabbi, he sent out a whole host of, of letters to different Jewish groups scattered throughout the world and he began them all in, in a way very similar to this. And you can think also of of Paul's greetings, a greeting you hear every Sunday, grace and peace to you, or, or, or grace, mercy, and peace to you. It's a fairly common greeting. And yet the commonness of this greeting, this, this, that the fact that it's common doesn't take away from the preciousness of this greeting. Because this is how God chooses to address his exiled people his people who are suffering. And through Peter, God says to his people, he says to you, you have my grace. You have my grace when you go through trials. And you have peace. And the greatest blessing that you could ever be given is that you have peace with God. You have love and fellowship and communion with him. And this peace is something that can never be taken away from you. No matter how intense a trial you face, you have that assurance. 
think of Christ's words before he left his disciples, before he left them for their own exile and persecution, and he turned to them and he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And now Peter says the same peace is given to each of us. But perhaps today you feel like peace is far away. Perhaps you feel like God has no concern for you. I recently returned from a trip to the States, and and while I was there, I was walking through a small town, and I I passed a a motel, and the motel had their, their no vacancy sign lit up. And you know what that sign means? It means don't bother stopping, keep driving, there's no place for you here. And sometimes in our life of exile, we can feel like God has turned on some sort of no vacancy sign towards us, as if he has no room for us. Others might be welcomed into his kingdom. Others might receive his grace and his mercy and his peace, but not me. God might see her suffering or his suffering, but my prayers just seem to fall on deaf ears. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because the suffering of God's children, it never goes unnoticed. Your prayers, they never go unheard. And you may be suffering today, but know that your Father will never let you suffer without a purpose. And he will never let you suffer alone. You are your Father's son and daughter. And in your Father's throne room, there is no panic, only plans. And his plan includes blessing you with his grace and with his peace. And you can have this confidence that our Lord now blesses you because his son was cursed for you. You can have the confidence that he will keep you because his son was forsaken for you. You can have the confidence that he turns his face towards you and shines upon you because his son was left in utter darkness. And all of this, God says through his servant, be multiplied to you. I heard a story of an artist who painted the Niagara Falls. And he couldn't come up with a title for his painting before it went on display, so he just left a little sticky note on it, and he said, more to follow. More to follow. And that ended up being the title of that painting. And that's a picture. It's a picture of God's blessed greeting towards us, towards his children. There's more to follow. We don't just get a slice of God's grace and peace, but we receive an unending and an ever-increasing and all-powerful river of grace and peace from his holy throne room. Grace and peace that no trial can ever stop. And so, brothers and sisters, there are times when the church may seem small, when the church may seem powerless and scattered, and there are times when you might feel that way personally. But take heart, brothers and sisters, Because though you may feel like you live in in exile and in, in opposition to the world, though you suffer in a broken and at times cruel world, you can be confident because our God is not small. Our God is mighty. He has chosen his church even in their dispersion and their exile and their suffering. And he has chosen you in his foreknowledge. He has chosen you in his sanctification. He has chosen you for obedience and for sprinkling with his blood. And he will not abandon those whom he has chosen. And so may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, You have indeed richly blessed us beyond all measure, calling us to 
be your children through Christ and providing us with an eternal hope even while we live here as exiles. And we pray that we would always keep our gaze fixed upon our heavenly home. That we would not be carried away or overwhelmed by the assaults of the world, the devil, or our own flesh. Remind us, Lord, when we suffer of your grace and peace for us. Surround us with your love. And above all else, Lord, glorify yourself through us. In your Son's name we pray, amen. If you are able, please rise and we'll sing from hymn 64, What is My Only Comfort in Life and Death, followed by the Apostles' Creed in hymn 1. Oh, 
Let's pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we are taught by your holy word that our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. You are the one who controls all things and is sovereign over all things. And because of this, we know that we can go through life with confidence, knowing that our lives are in your hand. And so we pray that you would help us to live confident lives in this world. Not relying on the things of this world for comfort, but looking only to you. And Lord, we pray for our nation. Our nation which seems to have turned its back on you and increasingly turns against you. We pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct our leaders in the way of righteousness. That your people would enjoy the blessings of freedom and peace in this land. And we pray for those who live under persecution and the threat of persecution. Lord, we pray, comfort them in their trials. Comfort them with your grace and your peace and work in the hearts of their leaders as well. We pray, Lord, that the leaders of this earth would impartially administer justice that they would uphold integrity and truth, that they would restrain wickedness and evil and maintain the true religion. Lord, if it is your will that we or your people should be taken out of this life, then we pray that you would comfort us with the knowledge that to die and be with Christ is better by far. And we pray that our deaths would serve as a testimony of our faith. We pray, Lord, for those who suffer here in Canada, within the church, outside the church, suffering perhaps because of historical injustices. We think of those who've been oppressed by our governments, society, or people in general who suffer from the lasting effects of residential schools or from cycles of abuse and extortion. Lord, we pray that you would grant healing. Healing physically, mentally, and above all, spiritually. And may those who bear wounds from the past find healing in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would also open our eyes to any injustice that we may be able to resolve. For any who suffer that we may be able to help. And Lord, grant us boldness and courage to pursue justice and mercy. But help us also to do so humbly, knowing that you are God and we are not. And Father, for any here who may be the cause of injustice, the inflictor of suffering and abuse, we pray grant repentance. Grant a change of heart and a renewal of the mind so that they would live in accordance with your word, showing love to all those who are made in your image. We pray, Lord, for our church. We pray that you would give grace to your ministers, your elders, and your deacons here and also throughout this world that by their life and doctrine they would proclaim your true and life-giving word. And to all your people, we pray, give your heavenly grace, that with reverent and obedient hearts we would hear and receive your holy word, that we would serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives, that we would speak to those around us about the good news of the gospel, of the amazing grace that you show to sinners like us. Lord, grant us opportunities to spread this good news. And when those opportunities arise, we pray, give us words to say. And let us not be a stumbling block to those around us, but instead use us, Lord, to save those who are in the danger of the fires of hell. And so we pray, prosper all those who proclaim the gospel of your kingdom here in Canada and throughout this world. 
And in this way, Lord, would the great commission be fulfilled, the making of disciples of all nations. Gather in your, your chosen ones, Lord. We pray that the day of your son's return would come quickly, that you would gather us all to our heavenly home. It's in Jesus' name that we ask all these things. Amen. Your offerings this evening are taken for Manoa Manor. The deacons will come around and and collect your thank offerings. Then as our closing him, we'll sing from hymn 67, stanzas 1, 3, 4, and 6. Christ receive our Lord's blessing and go in his peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.